But we have just heard how the unity of the three A's, AA, Al-Anon, and Alateen, has helped one family to learn, grow, love, and work together. There is another area which is also important and carries a message, and that is the professional. Barry passes along knowledge which comes naturally to him. To borrow his own phrase, this is one professional's opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Barry Leach, MA, Specialist, Alcoholism Service of the Roosevelt Hospital in New York City. If you feel as filled with hope and gratitude as I do, you'll appreciate an excuse for giving a standing ovation to the Hope family for this beautiful, absolutely beautiful presentation. I invite you to take a seventh inning stretch. Wouldn't you like to stand up? And you're here in the back. If you can't, will you begin to signal with your hand so we can do something about it? The number of you out there is positively stupefying. I knew it was a stupendous honor to be asked to speak at this meeting, but I didn't know how stupendous. I suspect that one of the reasons I was asked to speak is because within the last two years my name has got associated with a story. It isn't my story. It's a story told by Dr. Milton Maxwell of the Rutgers Center of Alcohol Studies about the first American alcoholic. Dr. Maxwell is convinced, and I know many of you have heard him say this, that the first American alcoholic was Christopher Columbus. <laughs> and his reasons for that are these. When Christopher Columbus started out, he didn't really know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. When he got back, he didn't know where he had been. And a woman paid for it all. I don't like that story, so I'm not going to tell it. It's his story. When um, he told me the story, I first got annoyed because it, made, it seemed to me to make women uh, sound pretty dopey, and that's not my opinion, certainly not of women in Al-Anon. And I began to do a little research about the subject of alcoholism and men and women. Why is it there is, continues to be more alcoholic men than women? I think I have come up with something, uh, some valid research, by going back to the Old Testament. If you look early in the book of Genesis, I think you might find the first recorded case of delirium tremens, the DTs, in history. There was a family living in a place called Paradise, and one of the members of the family, the mother, 
started fooling around with something that might be called Old Eden Applejack. <laughs> Apples ferment very fast, you know, even on the tree. And as a result of her experiments with the apples, look what happened. One of the kids, I never remember whether it was Cain or Abel, became a juvenile delinquent, right? The family lost its home. Very embarrassing. And when they were kicked off, they even had to leave their clothes behind. They just had fig leaves. And then when they asked the mother of this family what happened, she said that she saw a snake and heard it talking to her. I'm suggesting that maybe the Lady Eve was a Lady Lush. <laughs> and think how much better the course of human history might have been if Cain and Abel had gone to Alateen and Adam had gone to Al-Anon. <laughs> Marge told you that I'm a professional, but she didn't say professional what? I work professionally in the field of alcoholism and have been around this field for something like 25 years. And it is now some 18 years since I happen to know in my own personal experience that a woman named Lois and a woman named Anne and some others went to a little building on West 24th Street in New York City and began to set up the original Al-Anon headquarters. It's easy to see now in retrospect what a wonderful service those people did. It's hard to see why they had any doubts originally about the great need for their idea, their concern, and their willingness to work. Actually, the Al-Anon Alateen seed had been planted much earlier, and it already resulted in the very first Al-Anon Alateen meeting of which there is a new record. It was a meeting in print in the A.A. Grapevine of December 1944. That particular issue, the seventh of the A monthly journal, which was then a tabloid-type newspaper, was largely composed of articles written by non-alcoholic spouses, children, and parents of alcoholics in AA. In the 25 years since that meeting, Al-Anon has become one of the most respected forces in the entire field of alcoholism, helping to repair some of the damages of problem drinking in a way that no one else can do it. Going to many professional meetings about alcoholism, I've begun to realize that every good professional in the field has to learn early that he cannot do the job alone, using only his own power. He requires strength other than his own, power greater than his own. Similarly, the good Al-Anon member, or Alateen, recognizes clearly that he is not a physician who can attend to the medical emergency of detoxication, that he's not a trained vocational or marital counselor, that he's not an educator, the kind of educator we actually need a great many of to inform the public and the professions about alcoholism. Undoing the harm done by alcoholism requires the efforts of all these and many more working together for recovery of the alcoholic and his family. We need governmental agencies and hospitals and halfway houses and social service organizations, religious institutions, and enlightened employers all working together, each doing its own thing, which no one else can do. It is heartening to me to hear experts of various disciplines arguing jealously among themselves as to which is better, my way or your way, of helping alcoholics. Surely there is enough work to be done for all of us to have a share in. I believe perhaps Al-Anon and Alateen 
understand this very much better than anyone else, certainly better than most professionals and somewhat better than some AA members I know. If there's anything that makes me sick, it is to hear Al-Anon and AA members together arguing. In my opinion, everybody in the field of alcoholism, whether he's an AA member or a professional, should be required to attend Al-Anon and Al-Ateen meetings regularly, especially the professionals, because they do need straightening out. I want to make it clear that I do uh, also think all AA members should go to Al-Anon. Those who do not are cheating themselves out of some wonderful experience, some wonderful advice about 12-step work, which they can't get anywhere else. Perhaps you know of a member of AA who is doing some 12-step work, and he has a pigeon that isn't doing quite as well as he'd like for the pigeon to do, and he finds himself walking the floor in the middle of the night about the pigeon. Is that a familiar picture to any of you? I think you would profit by coming to Al-Anon. When you listen to professionals in the field of alcoholism at their various meetings and conferences, it quickly becomes apparent that all of them depend to an enormous degree on Al-Anon and Alateen to do the job they, the professionals, cannot do. I see this happen at the hospital where I work every single day. And I've asked myself for some time just why it is that Al-Anon and Alateen, not to mention AA, are so tremendously effective when nothing else is. What is it about this family of fellowships, AA, Al-Anon, Alateen, that no other agency has or can do? I have a list of 25 answers and I won't give you all of them. But I just made the list arbitrarily 25 for one answer for each year since that initial Al-Anon meeting in print in the grapevine. The number is purely arbitrary and is certainly not complete. I think together we could come up with a list of hundreds. But for now, I want to talk about some of these characteristics or qualities of Al-Anon and its junior segment, Alateen, many of them unique to Al-Anon, but many of them shared in common with AA. Most of them, I think, are gifts Al-Anon gives us, which are almost never, in my experience, recognized, studied, understood, or talked about seriously by professionals, and not very often acknowledged even in Al-Anon itself. But we should be grateful for them. And so I offer the list as 25 celebrations of Al-Anon, which may explain in some part why Al-Anon so very often is successful for other agencies fail. The list is in no systematic order and there's overlapping. In addition, the wording is not scientific or technical deliberately. Scientific and technical language have not proved to be very effective in helping those who suffer because of alcoholism. So therefore, this language is subjective, impressionistic, and personal. And that is exactly where my list starts. The first characteristic I want to call attention to is the fact that Al-Anon is, so in, is, is its intense personalness. Al-Anon makes it clear that it is primarily concerned with only one person, you. The person who comes or telephones or writes for its help. Al-Anon does not pretend to much interest in abstract theories of neurosis or even alcoholism. Its focus is on helping you, one person. It is much more interested in you than in any other member of your family, and isn't that a switch? For most people married to an alcoholic, that order of attention is quite a surprise. Instead of saying to you, well, how is he today, meaning that drunken bum you left passed out on the sofa at home, 
Al-Anon members greet you with, how are you? And they mean it. In fact, Al-Anon is so intensely personal, concentrates its energy so intently on you and your problems, that it often ignores to its own detriment the problems of Al-Anon itself as a whole fellowship. So much time is spent at a meeting helping the new Al-Anon or Alateen use that at most Al-Anon or Alateen meetings we begrudge any little time needed to discuss and transact necessary Al-Anon business. The fact that the group kitty may be starving, the fact that there are some communications from Al-Anon headquarters that need to be read and many other items that have to be attended to if the Al-Anon message is to survive, these facts get ignored. Nine out of the ten Al-Anon members I know would rather gas on the phone, cross-stepping each other any day, than sit down and read an Al-Anon service manual. <laughs> As a result, we have scads of happy Al-Anons doing very well indeed, thank you, smiling as if, happily as if they had good sense and they can't even spell Al-Anon. <laughs> second characteristic I want to talk about, I call the happy bandwagon phenomenon. Ordinarily, when any of us feels bad, we try to pass it off lightly and try to get it over all by ourselves. Understandably, we dread going to a doctor. But if it gets worse and hangs on, we finally have, an, uh, we finally have to go to him in fear and trembling, half afraid that he will say, sure enough, we do have something serious, and he will give that a name. Then when the doctors examine us and tells us the name of the condition, our hearts sink and our first question is, surely it's a light case, doc. But if he says it's bad enough to go to a hospital, that really makes us sick. We feel worse than ever. Hospitals are, for most of us, even those who work in them sometimes, grimness and suffering and death and antiseptic smells and impersonal threatening place where mysterious painful processes are perpetrated on the helpless. We react to similar glumness when we're told we have to have a long course of root canal treatments by the dentist. Or when told we need to sign up for a long course of psychotherapy. Such messages signal to us a long period of grim suffering ahead. Consider the difference when we are first invited to go to Al-Anon. Lois put it so well in that 1944 grapevine when she told of realizing for herself that she needed to use the AA-12 steps. Looking at the AA members around her then, so happily getting well, while she was hanging back resentfully, she wrote, I realized that if I did not want to be left behind, I'd better jump on the bandwagon too. Alanon's invitation to us to jump on a happy bandwagon is wildly different from the door-faced doc's advice to sign into a hospital, isn't it? In fact, when some of us first look at Al-Anon, we find the members there almost insultingly light-hearted about our problems. <laughs> Particularly if our sufferings have been noble. <laughs> Instead of oozing pity and sympathy for our troubles, Al-Anon members act insanely cheerful about the whole thing and casually invite us to come along for the ride. Come have a good time on the bandwagon, Al-Anon says. Be with us in a happy place, 
And while we are making a joyful noise together, we shall be born not under our own strenuous efforts, but by means of a power other than, stronger than our own, we shall all together be carried into a state of health. Who can resist choosing such a happy course of action over a gloomy-looking one? Anyone in his right mind would rather take a joyride to paradise and sign up for psychotherapy. A discussion of his hostilities, his miseries, his fears, his Oedipus complexes, his toilet training, his weaning, his guilt about his mother. <laughs> There's a third characteristic of Alana I think important, and that is its emphasis on success and its examples of success. Everyone can imagine how he would feel sitting in a dentist waiting room, glumly and silently being glared at by all the other swollen-jawed people, if you kept hearing the patients inside in the dental chair shrieking and moaning. Approaching your first psychotherapy session sometimes isn't much better. If you see anyone else at all in the waiting room, they look so miserable you say, oh my God, am I that bad? <laughs> or has it come to this? And if some of the fellow patients look fairly happy, that may be even worse, you feel left out. Now think about the difference. At Al-Anon, you see people who are working at it and making it, and they look and sound happy and serene. Listen to their stories, and time after time, you hear nothing but happy endings. How this problem was solved, and that one got better, and so on. Never do you hear helplessness or hopelessness unanswered in Al-Anon. For every grimness, a story is told of a worse one that ended in alleviation of the suffering, if not downright joy. The emphasis is always on success and not on failures. It is a cheerful atmosphere in which it is almost impossible to keep sitting around talking of nothing but the horrors of your last operation or who else died last year. Al-Anon is not about how people get sick. It is about how people get well, no matter how they got sick. I think the next and fourth characteristic I want to talk about is the context of health we find in Al-Anon, instead of the context of morality, to which many of us become accustomed before we get to Al-Anon. If it's any depressing prospect, it's that of spending an evening being told what an evil old sinner you are, how wrong and immoral are not only your deeds, but also many of your secret thoughts and wishes. Such a session seems to emphasize what an un changeable and perpetual louse you are, condemned permanently and forever to suffer the punishment you deserve. Al-Anon invites its prospects to no such scourging. Its framework is that of health which can be improved, not an ineradicable streak of sinful misdeeds and weaknesses. All of us would rather learn how to feel better than how to act better. Traditional religious approaches to alcoholism and psychological sufferings often emphasized our, weak, our wickedness. Now we know that Al-Anon too will eventually get around to something like that. They call it character defects and wrongs. But it doesn't start out by rubbing it in. First, Al-Anon says, let us help you feel better. And only after our health is improved, when we do feel better, does Al-Anon sneakily get around to the fourth step and the fifth step and amends and things like that. Number five, Al-Anon gives us a gift of time. Good physicians and spiritual shepherds have always realized that it takes time for wounds to heal, for sick people to recover. If there is one thing Al-Anon prospects are out of, fresh out of, when they arrive at Al-Anon, generally it's time. There simply isn't any more time. 
The suffering has gone on long enough. The grocer and the landlord have to be paid today, not tomorrow. The end of the frayed rope of time just barely stretches to the Al-Anon door. And what does Al-Anon do about it? Just shakes its head very calmly, very understandingly, and invites us to come back to another meeting next week. <laughs> what a sneaky thing. Very gently, Al-Anon then uncovers for us the fact that we've always been so busy regretting or reveling in the past or dreading or daydreaming about the future that we did not realize we have the time of the present. It is a gift we have ignored in our preoccupation with other times. But Al-Anon says, here is an hour, the time of this meeting. It's a free gift, it's beautiful, it's non-transferable, and it's unreplaceable, so use it. I think it's worthwhile saying, of course, that the 24-hour plan was not invented by Al-Anon or by AA either, although sometimes some AA members do sound as if they were present at the creation. <laughs> but look, AA is not responsible for the fact that we breathe only one breath at a time. Somebody else invented that. That we eat only one meal at a time and eat only one day's meals during one day and we move one foot before we move a mile. Alanon shows us the hour we have with us in a new light, in a light neither medical science nor theology has focused quite so clearly. We can thank Alanon for showing us this now time. In other agencies, oftentimes, time is seen as a misery or as an enemy. But its importance as an ally is practically ignored or at least rarely acknowledged. Medicine, we see, sees time often as the length of suffering you will have before you reach the crisis or get well. Preachers point to lengthy past periods of sinful time and future punishment eons. Law enforcement agencies meet out time as doses of punishment, 30 days or 30 years. But Alnon says, no, time is now if you will only use it for joy and love and service. We are not taught this way about time in our school, in school, nor is this a subject of any sermons, not very many sermons, in synagogues or churches. To my knowledge, no other institution, certainly no other helping agency, has appreciated the importance of this concept and emphasized it sufficiently to help the clients. Although life happens one day at a time outside Al-Anon as well as in it, no one else furnished you a book on it, did they? Another thing Alnon gives us, and this is quality number six for me, is a painless education. Most of us remember some dreary experiences of our school days. I recall hours spent learning multiplication tables, very cheerful hours. My little nephew doesn't have that kind of old-fashioned nonsense, of course, but he tells me that some days his course in sand pile is a real drag. So the last thing many of us want is to go back to school, even my little nephew. Yet it is clear that if we are to make any headway at all against alcoholism, we have a lot to unlearn still, and a lot to learn. We simply have to be re-educated. Ignorance on the part of helping agencies is one of the biggest obstacles we have to progress in the treatment of alcoholism. And ignorance on the part of the alcoholic and his family help to nourish the disease. Alanon never calls it education, but it quietly, while we aren't looking, slips into our cup of coffee that cheers great dollops of new information. And it's of a useful, not a theoretical kind. 
Thank goodness many of the tax-supported programs and institutions in alcoholism are now doing some teaching in this area. If there's a summer school of alcohol studies in your community, I hope to goodness you make sure that Al-Anon is involved in it. This may take a great deal of diplomacy, and you maybe have to, may have to be willing to do the kitchen work uh, for a little while, but it pays off, I think. Number seven, in the, some of the characteristics I admire about Al-Anon is the fact that Al-Anon is just loaded with good company. I believe that in no other place in the world do we get to know such a delightful array of people as the ones we meet in Al-Anon, AA, and Alateen. Where else could any one of us get to know such a wide variety of folks as this? These are just some of the ones I've encountered. A streetwalker who has a skunk on a leash two successful artists that paint only erotica, scores of MDs and PhDs of every imaginable specialty, a wild game hunter and an Antarctic explorer, a former Miss America, a strip teaser, a tobacco auctioneer, many movie stars, one of the world's 12 leading chess composers, not the same thing as a chess player, a female impersonator, an auto race driver, skeet shooters, skeet champions, a temperance lecturer, cowboys, senators, judges, an olive stuffer, a toilet tissue wrapper, assorted defrocked priests and nuns, as well as a couple of cardinals in good standing, the driver of a getaway car for murder incorporated mobs, and many other fine people far above my social station. <laughs> At the last non-AA party I attended, I found myself pretty bored right away even before everybody else got squashed. And looking around at the people present, I began to understand why. They were a very uninteresting group. Not a single one of them had ever been in a booby hatch. <laughs> or cradled in his arms an alcoholic having a convulsion. Or had to swallow hard and blink a lot and blow his nose while hearing an alateen youngster tell how she had learned to love her drunken sod of a father. And that virtuous virago she called mother. None of those people at that party had ever joined a hundred others at a midnight alcathon, splitting their throats with laughter while some A speaker told the hilarious tale of his last suicide. <laughs> None of them had ever attended a convention as thrilling and as close to God as I think this one has been up to now. And now just look around this room yourself. Where else can you find as many interesting, friendly, and good-looking people who care for you? Give me for good company, Al-Anon, AA, and Alateen, any time. I think another thing that Al-Anon does, which is very clever, is demand and make possible the total system change. A psychological scientist some years ago demonstrated that if you want to make any deep, important changes in your thinking system or your personality, it is much easier to do it with a total, sweeping, complete system replacement than it is to do it in piecemeal fashion. Now, any good Southern cook, and since I'm from Texas, I have some notion of what I'm talking about, could have told that scientist that if you're preparing dinner and decide to switch to a sole menu, you do not, for instance, take one English pea at a time out of the pot and substitute a black-eyed pea. You don't remove one spinach leaf from the pot liquor and replace it with one collard green. You start all over. You cook a whole mess of peas, a whole mess of greens, and if you're inviting me, a skillet of cornbread. Al-Anon, too, 
It does not suggest that we simply change one or two habits, learn one or two new facts or rules, meet one or two people, go to one or two meetings. Al-Anon offers us, if we want a deep soul change, the means to change radically our whole lifestyle. It offers us an entirely new way of life, and few other helping agencies go so far in making possible for us such a radical and thorough interior revolution. If we have not yet made the complete change, it is not because we don't know how. Alanon's tools are there for building a whole new life, not just for putting a few band-aids on a shabby old one. Number eight, Alanon emphasizes the possible. Alanon wastes no time with what might have been and never advises us to try to change the things that cannot be changed. The Alanon emphasis is entirely on what we can do, not on what we cannot. Alanon does not dwell on how the alcoholism in the family could have been prevented, but on what can be done about it now. Alanon does not encourage us to try to change other people, which is an impossible task that only arrogant people will undertake anyhow, but encourages us to change the one person we are somewhat in charge of ourselves. Number nine, Alanon uses as method rewards instead of punishment. Unfortunately, too many attempts to change people, even for their own good, too often involve a large element of punishment. In war, we change the other people by killing them. In peace and in war, we use electric chairs, gas chambers, the gallows, and chain gangs to change the people we don't like. In school and at home, children are spanked or denied privileges. We use fines and prisons to keep each other in line. In church, the threat of dire hell is held over us. Even in harmless social clubs, we have systems of penalties and mild punishments to change us from misbehaviors to desirable members. Have you ever noticed that in all of Al-Anon, there is not one single member or committee or group or office that has the power to punish any one member of Al-Anon? In all the Al-Anon literature, it isn't even mentioned. This is a radical departure from most human societies. No matter how much you misbehave, they don't kick you out. Al-Anon procedures and customs and practices provide many, many rewards instead of punishment, and the rewards are freely given for the most miserable, tiny accomplishments. Just tell the group that you finally got through one evening without losing your temper, and everyone in the room applauds and treats you like the heroine of the evening. <laughs> Catherine said she got through the... Um, uh, didn't get didn't get battered her mother one evening and you know they didn't think much of it ordinary I think that's unusual I think ordinarily they'd be very very proud of Catherine when you for a change instead of kicking the body step over it and go out to an Al-Anon meeting <laughs> the people there when they learn about it treat you like Miss Universe you get outlandish approval and applause and praise and Al-Anon simply for learning to mind your own business. Surely this lavish use of rewards and the virtual absence of punishment has something to do with the success of Al-Anon. You'd think by now other institutions would have caught on, but in the helping field, I fear they have not. There is a privilege of privacy in Al-Anon, which is priceless. The customary use of na first, names only in first names only in Al-Anon bears close examination and has many values, such as keeping members on one equal 
rung of the status ladder and protecting the identity of the alcoholic, teaching us the humility anonymity lesson that no one of us is important at all, as important as the work of the group or the fellowship as a whole. But it also signifies something else. Each of us is bound to respect utterly the private confidences of another. I have no more right to repeat things I learn in confidence at an Al-Anon meeting than a priest has to tell his whole congregation about your confession, or your doctor has to tell his fellow country club members what color underwear you wear. If. <laughs> I think our fear of public anonymity breaks has begun to lessen rationally. We've begun to see that television cameras and magazine reporters are not waiting outside the door of every Al-Anon meeting room in the country so Chet can tell David who's going to Al-Anon. <laughs> but for the sake of those yet to come and those of us who need someone we can trust, and everybody does, we have to prove trustworthy always in keeping our lips firmly sealed about each other outside the meeting doors. The, Al the Anon part of Al-Anon implies a promise of privacy and it is a precious gift. Let's be sure we keep the promise as well as we want the doctor or the priest to. I intend to run over a few of these other things without discussing them. I think one of the significant and great reliefs uh, uh, that we find in, in uh, Al-Anon is the absence of manipulators. Most of us, by the time we get to Al-Anon, have been manipulated so much we've become a little bit expert at it ourselves. I've heard a few Al-Anon members say they learn how to lie, cheat, and such things as that, and they walk into Al-Anon and no one manipulates them. And they sit around a while and they may try to manipulate the Al-Anon members and that doesn't work either. There's a total absence of an abstinence from manipulation in Al-Anon. It's an unusual thing in human society. And then, of course, there's the loving laughter, which does such a beautiful job of healing. There's a new language we learn in Al-Anon and in AA. I know that in the pre-Al-Anon days, many of us glibly parrot a great deal of terminology, such as psychosomatic and hang-ups and neurotic and all that kind of language. And then we come into Al-Anon and we learn words like treatment, tolerance, resentment, serenity, spiritual, inventory, fellowship, and that beautiful phrase, my group. That's a useful and beautiful vocabulary. It's true and it's poetic. It is not clinical or scientific or technically accurate, but that doesn't matter. Do you know any place in the United States where you can find a thousand people this weekend, or 15,000, staying well and happy together, speaking to each other, clinical ease, I think the beauty of routine is one of the great things that Al-Anon and AA and Alateen offer. A great number of us feel we can't stand boredom. And that's understandable after some of the monotonous suffering we've been through. But thank God for the beautiful Al-Anon customs that are there week after week after week. How comforting it is to know that even if I'm not at the meeting tonight, somebody is standing, they're all standing up together and they're saying the serenity prayer and when they say it, you know, they're saying, give God grant me serenity, courage, and wisdom, and give him some too, the means to people that aren't there. I think Al-Anon does a beautiful job of deflating our views of ourselves, letting the hot air out. 
I think Al-Anon does a beautiful job because, partly, it offers complete acceptance and permissiveness, but it requires standards. It is not indulgent. There's a favorite story among psychotherapists of uh, indulgence, the non-directive, overly indulgent therapist who never replies to anything or says anything uh, uh, to his client except for repeating, in other words, the very same emotion the patient expresses. If a patient says, I hate my paw, the therapist faintly smiles, nods his head, and says, you don't like your father. <laughs> and when the patient says, I can't pay my bill today, the therapist says, you don't have any money. And when the maddened patient suddenly jumps up and hurls himself out the window, the therapist walks to the window, looks down, and says, plop. <laughs> That's the overindulgence that kills instead of healing. And it's not the Al-Anon, A.A. Alateen kind of acceptance that also demands high standards of behavior, the best illustration of which I can remember is one of a, 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 a meeting where a newcomer talked about carried away. He was only been sober a few months. He had a bad slip, and he was talking about what a louse he was. Said he'd stolen from his wife during the slip. He had beat, beaten his child. He'd cheated his boss, and what's more, he said he found he enjoyed all these things. So he knew at heart he was just a permanently no good sob. And an older woman member sitting there was knitting. She never dropped a stitch. She just nodded and says, "Yes, we know all that." <laughs> But can't you postpone the next drink for just one hour, my dear? <laughs> Highly accepting, but setting very high standards. Al-Anon provides us with instant gratifications. We don't have to delay and postpone the gratifications, not even the ones of getting out of this meeting on time. The Al-Anon, I think, is, is uh, AA and Alateen are really unique in the history of mankind for having a relaxed attitude toward alcohol and drinking. The confusion that most people in the world feel about alcohol, that it is a good thing and at the same time it is a bad thing, is very old, and there's no, probably no other group in the world who's very relaxed about, uh, about alcohol itself and the subject of drinking. I think the, if the Al-Anon attitude would spread into every heart in the country, we'd see a spectacular, peaceful, and fruitful revolution of the kind we all would like to see. I don't mean to be turned into a nation of teetotaling abstainers who go ape, positively hysterical if not psychotic at the mere mention of beer or pot, far from it. But we might see a tremendous lessening in our incidence of alcoholism, a tremendous improvement in our treatment of it, and a heightened appreciation of the civilized ornamental uses of the loving cup. I've been privileged to talk to a great number of doctors who are themselves alcoholics and have uh, have begun to recover in AA, and that brings to mind a, a something I should have said earlier. In just in the event my boss happens to be sitting in the room, I'm doing a research project which involves talking with recovered nurses and uh, nurses in AA and recovered dentists in AA. If you know any, please put them in touch with me. Um, one of the big hang-ups that the medical profession has begun to recognize it has about treating alcoholism is the fact that it's hung up about its own drinking. I think another characteristic of Al-Anon that's terribly wonderful is that Al-Anon is primarily for us and it's not for society's sake. Oh, I think it's great when industry sets up an alcoholism program to save money. I think it's great when the president or the a senator pass some laws about alcoholism. This is marvelous. I think it's great when a state offers an alcoholism clinic. I want to see more of these things. But they're doing that for the company or for the state or for the community. Al-Anon is not doing it for your family's sake or your company's sake or the community's sake. It is just doing it for your sake. It makes a big difference. 
Al-Anon provides us with loving witnesses of a kind we can find nowhere else. It's easy to say, I'll do better and not let anybody hear you, and then you don't have to do better. It's wonderful in Al-Anon to stand up and say, I made a fool of myself again, and what shall I do? And there they are as witnesses the next time you turn up to see if you didn't maybe do a little bit better. (laughs) Al-Anon provides us a new experience of God, one unlike any that most of us have known before. I think Al-Anon is great because it is free and isn't that cheap of it. It would really be so much easier for us to simply write a check every month and mail it to the office and we'd be better, huh? Instead, Al-Anon was very sneaky. AA was very sneaky. They said, you can't buy it. Just give us some of yourself. Just a pound of your flesh now and then. As a result, I suspect the support for the uh, service offices around the country is much better than it would be if we really charged dues. By being non-mercenary, Al-Anon gets far more out of us than a few dollars. And as a result, of course, we get far more out of Al-Anon. Al-Anon is conducive to courageous dissent, and I'm delighted to travel to Al-Anon groups around the country and see so many of them doing exciting new things, new experiments. Goodness knows if we have a half million alcoholics in AA, and that's the biggest AA has ever been willing to claim, that means we still have in the United States at least six million not being helped. Somebody has to try something new. Why not Al-Anon? Al-Anon gives us a new image of ourselves so that we begin to see ourselves not as quite so horrible as we were, perhaps. Maybe we are a little bit good. If you first came into Al-Anon on a day when you were sure your drunk is just a stubborn, mean, no good, so-and-so, and completely sure that you yourself were absolutely Mia Farrell, the Virgin Mary, Arlene Francis rolled into one, Alon had news for you. I'm sure by now you're more comfortable with the real you. And if you first came into Al-Anon on a day when you hated yourself and you were sure that your problems were your own fault and you were the cause of the alcoholism in your family and you were a very bad mother and a very bad wife, Al-Anon has given you a new self-image too. You've begun to see yourself as what you are, someone better informed, a helpful person, because you are all those things as a result of Al-Anon. Finally and last... Al-Anon fosters, in the very best sense of both words, good nurturance and good dependence. Scientifically, there's no question whatsoever about what kind of society we have to have if we want to have a society without alcohol problems. There have been many hints of this in the sociological and psychological literature for years. The church at its best has shown us the way. And the most dramatic illustration of it is the AA Al-Anon Alateen family of fellowships. We will have alcohol-related problems as long as our children grow up in an atmosphere of competitiveness where keeping a stiff upper lip and handling all your own problems by yourself are considered the ideal human behavior. But we can expect to see alcohol problems almost vanish when we produce a culture where adults are encouraged to depend on each other, to be helpful and trustful and trustworthy, to be loving and kind, or as the psychologists say, nurturant toward each other, where no man ever suffers alone, where both sorrows and joys are mutually shared. Al-Anon comes darn close to this ideal, and for this, if no other reason, my hat is off to it. Tomorrow, in a somewhat old-fashioned way, I think I shall salute the flag. 
And in my heart, I shall be saluting the kind of people who dream the dream of the kind of America I think we all want, the kind of world we all want. On all the face of the earth, I think good Al-Anon folks may be the best possible people for leading us there. So I say God bless Al-Anon and Alateen forever. Thank you. Barry for that very, very informative talk. And for the alcoholics in here, I think that was especially good to let them know to put their fears to rest that we do not talk about you at our meeting. <laughs> After listening to this wonderful, wonderful panel, I think it is appropriate to say and end with we can do together what I cannot do alone. Now, before we end with the serenity prayer, Myrna has one more uh, message to give you. I have some very good news for our Spanish-speaking friends who are here with us on this momentous occasion. By popular demand, there will be a meeting of Spanish-speaking Al-Anons Saturday, July 4th at 10.15 a.m. in the card room one on the mezzanine. And I'll repeat that. That is July 4th, 10.15 a.m., card room one, the mezzanine. And don't go away. I want somebody to, to say this in Spanish if they will. We have a member of the host committee. Okay. Para lo que habla española... Se va a celebrar un meeting mañana a las 10 y cuarto en el car room number, número uno, Mensa Sign. Uh, por demanda popular. Gracias. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming. And I hope you can take something away with you today. I know I have taken, will be taking a great deal away with me. Now, for those who wish to join me in closing with the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.